Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I am DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and today we are going to have a discussion about how to immerse your players into your world, your campaign, whatever you need, and it is going to be with none other than Aaron Reynolds, New York Times bestselling author of the series entitled Fart Quest. We'll tell you more about that, but I'll leave you with that. And before we do, we have an iTunes review. From D&D is cool. Five stars. Hello from Canada. Thanks to this podcast, I have to get a lot more bags of holding to carry around all of my new ideas. P.S. Thank you for making this idea field podcast. It's just plain awesome. And thank you, D&D is cool, for leaving that review. And speaking of how cool D&D is, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today on The Meat, we have a very special guest, someone whose work I have enjoyed for some time. I have also enjoyed it with my children. And today we have Aaron Reynolds, who is a number one New York Times bestselling author with so many pieces of work and we're going to have links to all of that but one the one that stands out is the epic and i just i can't emphasize enough epic fantasy series entitled none other than fart quest um aaron just thank you thank you for it's already been a treat thus far and it's going to be i am sure a great episode yeah thanks for having me Neil. i am uh i appreciate your your lead-in on that because uh a lot of grown-ups especially like they hear the term, the the phrase fart quest, which is the title. And they're like, how really epic can this be? But I agree with you. I think that the title is a great hook that pulls in a kid that might not otherwise pick up a, a good fantasy. It says, but I'll read fart quest. But then they read it and they get sucked in by the, the humor. But then I hope they get drawn in by this epic coming of age story that is what I wanted it to be. So I appreciate that intro. So I have two children. One is a boy and he is one of the most boy boys. One is a girl and she just is by chance one of the most girl girls, whatever stereotypes, they just fit into him. That's how it worked out for me. And so she she didn't necessarily jump in, I think, because it was called Fart Quest. And then she overheard me reading it to him. And now she's actually the one that asks for reading it more than he does. Because she's just she'll just devour books. So she always wants to read it. And I said, that's not fair. We're all reading it together. You can't just read it on your own. And I've literally taken it away from her <laughs> several times because because she has re- started to read it on her own. I love that, that you literally yeah. stop reading so much. I want to read it, too. <laughs> it is by far the most weird parental disciplinary system um, that I have to implement with her. Uh, no, you need to put that book down. Yeah. Uh, I don't. It's it's so awkward because um, I feel like I'm doing something wrong, <laughs> but I know I'm doing it right because. She'll run into things because she's just head in a book. Well, I, I I think that's fantastic that, you know, I like I said, I my editor and I, we came up with the title and the title really informed some things because we wanted to hook those reluctant readers, um, especially, let's just be honest, I mean, speaking of stereotypes, and this doesn't apply everywhere, but especially boys who tend to be the more reluctant readers. 
you know, they might not, they might be intimidated by like the Wings of Fire books or, you know, some other thick old Harry Potter or something like that. But when I got into the writing of it, it was really important to me that I have some strong, powerful girl characters in lead roles. And so if you've been reading it with your kids, you know that Pan and Moxie, the two lead mm-hmm. um, girl characters, they are by far and away the coolest, most awesome warrior and monk uh, team. They're, you know, let's be honest, Fart, he, he's, he's a great character, but he screws up more than he helps half the time. So Pan and Moxie uh, are the ones that save the day. So I hope she's... Uh, enjoying them as a, as a girl looking at these strong, powerful girl characters in this, in this book series. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're huge fans of all, pretty much all of the characters, but that also kind of hits to the, our next interview question, if you will, is what are you currently working on? And I know I always get to throw this caveat out, out there that you can actually tell me about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Fart Quest four just came out of uh hot off the presses i want to say last week and it is it is a beautiful book i mean i, I just got my own author co- author copies not too long ago and oh it, it, i think it's my favorite in terms of the look and feel of the book the illustrations the cover art it's so that's far quest for the trolls tochis disgusting nice. you're welcome but uh so that's that's out and and i've finished that in with the idea being that I, I'll be honest, I could write ten more of these. I love the characters. I love obviously D and D, and these are were really my love letter to D and D. And so we're in discussions about possibly more fart quests. So that's on the table. In the meantime, I'm I, um, I'm working on a new picture book for younger kids, and I'm just now starting to assemble an outline and some rough ideas for an idea I've got for a kid's sci-fi story. So, uh, so several things always simultaneously in the works in various stages. And um, all of it right now is a little bit in loose form, but uh, it's slowly coming together. That's awesome. So I could ask you so many questions um, just because like I said, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed some of the illustrations more than I really thought I would just because of how well they hook the kids in. The fact that the pages of when they're in ca- in a cave are black with white text, it's so simple and so effective. But yeah, before I go on too far of a tangent, I do have a surprise question and there was no one better to set the surprise question up than just asking my own children what I, they think I should ask you. Yeah. So, so the two questions that they had kind of go together is how did you come up with deciding which characters kind of like the party putting them together? Because we play D&D together. So kind of like warrior, monk, mage, and then rogue, if you will. And then also, how did you come up with their names? When I was first putting the characters together, I assembled on paper many, many, many variations on a party and really kind of kept going okay what gives me the most possibility what gives me the most conflict what gives me um areas of specialty i mean in a lot of ways i thought about it through the same lens that i look at being a dungeon master um i'm a big fan i'm not a big fan of multi-classers as a dm 
And uh, the reason I think that is, is because I, I, I want every player and every character to be needed for what only they can do and only they can bring to the group. And I think that was really important to me as I was putting this group of characters together that they all needed to be specialists in whatever it was they did so that there were times when each one of them can save the day or be the right solution or the right problem. And I think that's what makes the most dynamic D&D party as well is, is old school specialists, I, I, not multi-classers. And, you know, I, I know some people disagree with that and that's totally good. Whatever works for your game is the right choice. But uh, that's that's how I, I approach things as a DM. And I think that's how I came at it with the story. In terms of, of character names, Fart, uh, well, and it's, uh, people who don't have context would be like, there's a character named Fart. His, his real name is Bartok, but he gets the nickname, this derogatory nickname of Fart uh, along the way because of some of the choices that he makes. And um, so that really, I knew going into it that that would be a piece of it. Um, we had talked about calling the series Fart Quest, um, about including an element of potty humor. So I knew the idea of character with a, with a derogatory nickname like that who eventually would come to own that nickname and stand behind the things that about him that made people give it to him was part of it. The rest of the time, I, I'm looking for character names that are fun to say. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Silver Snow, uh, Pan's last name, Pan, Silver Snow. Silver Snow was one of my old uh, World of Warcraft character names. So, um, Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I pulled that in from there and Moxie, her name just fit because she is Moxie. She has Moxie. She has all the Moxie. And uh, so it's a combination of words and phrases and names that are fun to say, fun to put on paper, fun to read, and that also match the integrity of who the character is and what they're all about. Yeah, in in giving giving some of the air quote historically evil characters very regular names is also just wildly fa- like fantastic for my children. Uh, Tim and Steve, the Enten uh, heads, um, yeah. or in you know things like that. Yeah, this is uh, funny to me too. I'm like, oh that, yeah, that there's that there's an Etten and one head's name is Tim and one head's name is Steve. That's that's just silliness, and and I adore I adore that. There was a in this is an anecdote that is wildly personal in that like it's one of those things from a game where I don't know that this is as funny unless you were actually there. But I had a time where I often used Steve just as a catch all, like that was just my go to name. Um, and eventually we named our party Steve, just because I had done it so often, and a friend of mine said that Steve was an acronym, strong, though eventually very evil. And I was like, wait, what? How is this the the road that Steve will walk? (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah, it it makes sense to me that, I mean, there's just a subtle comic element to that idea of a very regular name, the great and powerful Kevin, that, that just to me is silliness at its best and and uh, above all else, um, 
my books must have an element of silliness. Definitely. So we're going to jump into the topic. I don't, you and I have already discussed off air that we're not 100% sure what name it will eventually take, but the idea of adding immersion through setting up the story like really making sure that that some of those structures are there um and i don't think either of us are going to jump into the topic implying that you know everything needs to be set up through the whole thing because i'm sure all of our listeners know or really anyone that's been behind a dm screen for even a single session knows that once your ideas meet the players it it's anybody's game at that point. But what I wanted to <clears throat> first ask is what brought that topic to mind? Because I really like kind of starting there because then it gets, you know, kind of shows the headspace that we're both in when talking about this. Yeah. And we, t- like you said, we talked about different words for this world building, I guess, is part of it. Nuance is part of it. I, I guess as we dialogued about what we should talk about and what we wanted to dig into, the, the, the thing that bubbled up to me is the little things you do that not only bring the game to life in for the whole group, but bring it to life for the individual, for each individual players. And, and additionally, the kinds of things that create a desire for longevity in the group. I, I, I've been DMing since I was probably 14. Played my first game in 1981 uh, in fifth grade. Uh, I, I'm, I've been playing since I had my first monster manual, the first edition monster manual that I bought, uh, that I got for Christmas in 1981. So I've been playing for a long, long time and I've been DMing off and on again for a long, long time. And we all know the whole reality that campaigns launch but often fizzle out by level three level four level five and that's been true of my games as well over the years and i and as i went into this last campaign i've been running which has been running for gosh we're going on two and a half years now i started to ask myself before i went into it how would i approach this differently how would i go into it in a way that might create a desire in the group for more longevity. And part of what my answer was is approaching it similarly to how I approach writing a book. And that is that the group has, one of the things is that the group has a story arc that each individual character has an individual story arc and that when I write a book, I know it has to end. Can't just write a book with nothing more than a beginning. And, and sometimes I can write and just see where it goes, but if it just fizzles out by, you know, the, the, the seventh chapter, then I, then I won't be able to make a living. If this, uh, you know, I have to write a book with the end in mind. I have to create, I- go ahead, go ahead, jump in. Oh, oh, well, I just imagine the idea of like a writer who's like, it's a living document. Just check back in. See if I put more stuff in it. <laughs> just just a, just the wild concept that that would be. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that would really enjoy it. And I, I don't know with all my own years, 
you know, rolling these math rocks that I don't think I've ever seen it quite in this light. And uh, and I say it often now on the podcast, sometimes things feel more um, epic in my own mind than than when I get them out. But the idea that we're so focused as DMs on that 10,000 foot view because because we need to play in that world you know we're we're, we are the world if you songs just came in my head also yes and but the idea that like you do need to do that but you i think one of the things that like we're really hitting on is the idea that you also that whole world is fine but that person over in that chair their whole world is that character sheet yeah. And the connections to that character, she ensure they're eventually connecting themselves to the world that we've created through this story. But those small things, and I think that's kind of where the nuance comes in. It's those small things that make them invest so much more, because while, yes, it does feel epic and, and great to be the, the people that helped save the world, the I have a character who... I have them sometimes roll on NPC charts just to help them tie themselves to their characters more. And I realized like that's part of this conversation. It's giving them a small, small piece to just kind of latch on. And one character had sweaty hands. It's just random. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, And then they fell off of a cliff because they failed a climb check. And everyone instantly blamed the sweaty hands. Sweaty hands. And so it's you know that like everyone from that table from that from that campaign remembers that half orc paladin who had sweaty hands. Right, it, it is those details that that we remember. It's the, those nuances about character that stick with us when we read books. And I agree, it, it's those are the things we remember about our games. Yeah, it, it's uh, I'm just having a really interesting like reverse thinking of like what are there are there places and spaces that I missed opportunity and obviously you know it's not that's not a place to dwell it's just a place to maybe kick back a little bit and then learn um, from those moments of those things that maybe a player was really attached to but was I too focused on the you know that ten thousand foot view to to not play into that nuance. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes total sense. I am um, when I went into this this current campaign I'm playing, and I, I it was important to me, like I, I mentioned that that every I wanted to plan this campaign with the end of the campaign in mind. So I had some, and, and again, I, I didn't go into it with it all fully written. Just like when I go start a book, I didn't have it all fully written. But I have a rough idea when I start a story uh, for a book that. I have a rough idea of of where I think I'm taking it and then pay attention to the characters along the way and they help me latch on to those things. But if I didn't have a rough idea of the arc from the get-go, at least a little bit of a nugget of what the arc is going to be, where the ending might lead them, then I don't think I would be as tuned in to the characters when they present opportunities for me on the page, which is really how my writing works a lot anyway, is the characters reveal things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can have that become what saves the day in the final battle. That one, you know, that's what happened in Far Quest book one. He he was ridiculed. He was he, he's a goofball. He's not a serious, skinny mage like all the other mages at at at, at the magic school. He's 
He's a kind of a chubby kind of a goofball. Doesn't take it seriously. Could have picked all the cool spells in the world for his first spell, and he picks gas attack. Not because it's a powerful spell, but because it made him laugh. It's funny, and he's constantly trying to change that. But at the end, it is that spell that saves them. And if I don't go into it with an idea of an arc at the beginning, then those opportunities that that the characters present to me get missed. And so I think I look at my my group in D and D in the in the same way as I go into it knowing I want the campaign to have a beginning and middle and an end. I don't want the campaign to fizzle out. I want to end the campaign with some epic final thing that the entire campaign has has in a meandering way been driving towards. And then I also, along the way, want each individual character to have their own story arc, their own growth arc. And so I, I look for those opportunities along the way as the characters come to life at the table to latch on to the things that are important to them, to the things they don't want to happen, to the things they feel ridiculous about or bad about, because maybe those are the very things that make them heroic in the end. And I latch onto that. And as I go, I create a personal story arc for each character along the way so that the group grows as a group, but the individual characters grow as individuals in a way that are very satisfying for each of them. Yeah. And this works really well for setting up your homebrew world, setting up your homebrew campaign and having that end and then almost, yeah, letting those individual arcs be I I can almost see it in my mind. You know, I'm drawing, let's say, just a timeline, if you will, of the campaign. I have a clear start. I have a middle bit. I have an end bit. And then I'm literally drawing these arcs for the characters that are progressing the story forward to what I know the end to be. And I think that's just that's such a good way to set it up, because like there needs to be a definitive end. I mean, there certainly are campaigns that, you know, West March style and you're just in, you're out. But I think there's something really to be said about something, depending on your personal makeup of your table, of setting those things up to really have those individuals invest. Because if I do really know what the end is, then that can sit there. Because I know that's where we're going. So when that moment comes up for that individual character, then I can take that extra time to invest in them along the road that I already know that we're going to. And there's, you know, and certainly figuring out as well how to push that up or down that timeline if need be, because, you know, certain things happen, you know, life happens, surprise, um, where, you know, someone needs to leave the group or someone, you know, or everyone is just so invested that honestly, as the DM, you don't even want to get to the big bad as soon as you may have originally thought. So I think it's, yeah, it's, there's a, there's a lot. I feel like I'm a listener right now because now I feel like you've given me too many ideas and I don't really know what to do with them, which usually I'm not in that seat. I'm in the seat where I'm giving too many ideas. Uh, man, yeah, it's really making me think about my own campaign in the sense of because I've moved it forward because I so I'm I'm going through a pre-written material. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something really to be said about even if you are going through a pre-written module. I mean, one read the whole thing 
before you start. Let's let's just all agree that if you buy something that's pre-written, just read it front to back because then now you're you're having that same conversation with yourself of knowing what's the start, what's the middle, and what's the end because now if I know what the end is, then I know where we're going and all the middle bits can change really because they inevitably will as you play through, but now that I know that goal, be it homebrew or pre-written, then I can really focus on how I'm getting there, not whether or not I'm getting there. Yeah. And I say that I say that to myself as as much as anyone else, because I know like I'll, I'll get trapped in the idea of like, I know where the end is and I just want, I'm, I'm just trying to get to the end um, without really focusing maybe as much on that, that middle bit. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really, I think what you said there is a mouthful. It's really great. Uh, way to articulate it because and again i'm 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 i keep going back to the parallels between my job as an author and and my role as a dm because i think you know i'm i've been learning in recent years of how much benefit those parallels bring to my game um is that if i write with straight for that end it's a very unsatisfying story. It, 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 the story has to be a full journey and the characters can't know what the end is. And though I have to, as the author of it or the DM of it, they don't need to have all the exposition right up front. They don't need that. And what we're, what we do right now is I know where this thing is ending. Now I, I, I have developed it as we've gone. I put pieces together and I know where this thing is going. All they have are tiny little seeds that have been planted. Um, they know that they have these shards that that they were um, their families were killed for that were hidden on them that they were sent off as orphans um, and then and now and you know they all started at this place called Miss Wilhelmina's Home for Wayward Souls, this orphanage, and they knew that. But they didn't know until along the way that they were actually being hidden from this great evil that is hunting down these shards, uh, these these crystal shards. And they don't know why they're being hunted. They don't know what the shards do. They don't know where this thing is going. They just know that they have been brought together by this twist of fate that they all happen to come into possession of. And... They don't need to know what they do yet, because quite frankly, it has nothing to do with the piece of the adventure that we're working on right now. It's the big, the big arc. But right now, they're they're hacking their way through the jungles of Chult, and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to find the Soulmonger in uh, in Tomb of Annihilation. And I'm using pieces of that uh, in my campaign, and uh, so I've got that bigger arc in mind, and they don't have to know the whole picture. But the other thing is that because their individual arcs are very important to me, I never start a new quest or a new thing that they get led to with, well, random Joe comes up to you in a tavern and says, I need you to save our village from this reptile cult or whatever. Their individual arcs almost always initiate where they go next. And so their individual personal arcs wind up being them saying we're going here because this was revealed about me and i want to know more about it and the party like looks at each other and says okay we need to do that for barbarian we need to do that for our our, our, our warlock we 
we need to go and put these pieces together for them. And it makes for a really, I'm finding it's been fascinating for me because it makes for a really satisfying game, but it makes for a game that the players, I don't think any of them would conceive of not playing anymore, of of just saying, well, we're kind of done because they all desperately want to know what their character's story is. And, and they know they don't know it. They're figuring it out and they have no idea where it's leading. And they all desperately are invested in their own character story. And I'm fun. I've had lots of, of groups along the years that just fizzled out after level five or everybody just got tired of playing or, okay, one more quest, one more adventure. But this one has been different in that they would never let me stop playing because they want to get all the way. Yeah, I feel like with my one of my previous campaigns, it was like a mega dungeon. And there's, you know, that that only has so much tread on those tires before before eventually you're like, I don't know that I want to go into another level and another room. Um, So I, I feel like all of that is hearkening to like figuring out more of what their individual stories are. And I, I know we haven't brought this up yet. Not every player is going to be as on board with all of this. Some are going to be so on board, it's going to blow your mind, and it's almost like they're running the game for you. Now, that said, there are others that will not probably be as invested, but then it's figuring that out because I feel like the character, not character, the player that had the character who had sweaty hands, I don't feel was as invested until that failed climb check. And then from that point on, there was so much more investment into them. And at one point they died and I I alluded to the fact that like they could be a ghost, I think is a joke, but then they seemed really invested. (laughs) So I went back into 3.5 and looked at the ghost walk modules, (laughs) figured out how that would adapt and made those work. I love that. Like a level that had like a level of ghost but he also said that he could still sweat so then like he was like ghost sweat i don't and so but but that's what i mean like i don't feel like that player was as invested until those moments yeah yeah so like it's oh there's so many ways to to really make sure that it it is there and i guess maybe that's what this whole conversation really boils down to is really making sure that every person at the table thinks is it as much their story as they should um, because again, like for, for me personally, as a player, that's as the forever DM, that's not the role I ever really try for. I'm just so happy not to be running the game that I am, <laughs> I, I, I am practically an NPC with the party. And I say that to also say, but that's what I, that's what I enjoy. I like sitting there and just being with the group and, and focusing on what their stories are. And I'm happy to say if the barbarian barbarian was like, I need to go figure this out about where I came from and all of these things, I, my character would be the first to say yes, because, because that's just so much more enjoyable for me. And I, I just never want to take the spotlight, but it's, but at the same time, like if I were the DM, I would also want to check in on me to make sure that I'm not feeling left out as these other people are finding, finding these bits of their stories and really focusing on them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, every, every piece of the personal story intertwines together and and some, because they are intertwined together as a group, they just are. And some, um, 
sometimes the way that you invest them very deeply is is by not necessarily giving them what they want, but by throwing a wrench into the path of what they want. And I'll give you an example is one of my one of my characters in my current group, one of the players was playing us a, a sorcerer. And so I'm always throwing out those possibilities. I'm big on on creating opportunities for them to homebrew their characters a little bit, for them to, you know, my, my, my ranger, for example, really expressed a desire to learn more about poisons and and dabble in that and be an expert in nature and really play into her survival. And so we homebrewed some elements that instead of spells that she adds to her as is written 5e, which I never really liked the idea that a ranger is also now magical. And I, 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 I just like, I, I'd rather be, okay, you're just so, you're like Strider in, in Lord of the Rings. You're just so good at yeah. your survival skill that it seems like magic to other people. The fact that you can talk to animals now seems, it, it, it's not because you're casting a spell, it's because you have spent the time tuning into nature so much that you can make a connection that others can't. So we we gave her the opportunity to say, all right, I'm going to let you um, have a have a DC check that gets better as you level on whether or not you uh, can identify on site if a creature is a poisonous creature and have a DC to be able to harvest them for their poison and um, identify and harvest plants uh, that can be used as components for poisons and for antidotes. And so that, in that particular case, that played into something she expressed a desire for. But my sorcerer, on the other hand, kind of threw a few little hooks out there and she never bit, she never grabbed on. What was always clear to her is, is she didn't want to be bossed around. She wanted to do it on her own. She wanted to, even when like mentors would come along, she was like, well, I don't want to do it because you say so, or I, I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that. But what she did want to do was unclear to me. And so along the way, through conflict in her path, I threw the very thing she didn't want. And they went through this magic school and at the end of it, they had no idea. And some people will look at this and say, well, that's proportionally out of balance for the players. But there was this Baylor that had been imprisoned by the, the, mass, the mistress of the, of the wizarding school. And she had been killed by it in the act of imprisoning it and now was there in this magic school this ancient elven magic school as a banshee but the baylor was still imprisoned and he was down there in the caves and so there they were i think third level fourth level they had no business coming up against the baylor obviously but when they stumbled into the cave and they tripped the release on the imprisonment spell he basically ripped them all in half killed everyone in the party except the sorceress and at that point she had a tattoo in her chest that had been imprinted on her she had no idea where it had come from and at that point some devil began to speak to her through her tattoo and tell her that he had been reaching out to her he had been wanting to uh, connect with her she kept pushing him away and now she faced an ultimatum she could save her friends 
but then she would come into pact with him, which is exactly what she did not want to do. Mm. And so she chose to save her friends and the devil lord, who she still doesn't know who it is, but who claimed to be her father. She was a she's a tiefling sorceress. She she entered into a pact with him and the devil shrunk the Baylord down into a closet sized familiar for her. And she, in that moment, morphed oh, wow. into a warlock. She was no longer the character class that she picked. Mm-hmm. And she was given a boost of two levels and some really immense homebrew power elements that she never knew she would have never had otherwise. So in some ways, I gave her everything she wanted, power, but I gave it to her in a way that was exactly what she did not want to do, to be bound to anyone else for it. And it has created this fantastical conflict in her that draws her. I, I would say she would say she is having more fun now than she ever had in the first couple levels of the game. And it's because conflict creates excitement. Uh, just like it does in books, conflict creates excitement. And sometimes when you put in the very things in a really exciting way that they say they don't want, it escalates the excitement of the game even more. Sorry, that was a very long-winded story, but um, it, it's a good illustration of the point I was trying to make. No, exactly. You're in the perfect realm that it's often this is exactly where we get because it. It's always one thing to kind of talk about those those high level concepts and those ideas, but also getting into where this is how it worked. Like, you know, for me, for you. um, No, that was perfect because I'm also thinking about, you know, because you said it. So my brain is kind of hanging on to it. The the barbarian, the idea that like if they go back to their homeland, they find where their people had come from. But what if none of them are there or what is there instead? And so like, yes, here, here it is. You're there. Uh, but this, and now you're like, okay, wait, what? But, but why? Uh, well, I guess you'll have to find out now, won't you? Mm-hmm. And so, like, those are the those are the perfect things. Like, okay, so you go back to where you know where their people were, and what if it's there's this immense tunnel system that they find underneath where they were, and none of the people are there. That's not to say, like, did they go into the tunnels? Did they flee the area? Did they, did they, did they? I'm, and so it's those things. That, because, you know, the idea that the bar- the player of the Barbarian came up with the idea of wanting to find those answers, but then giving more questions instead of just answers. That, more questions are always immensely more exciting than just the answers. Yeah. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're tr- trying to create an exciting game. We, we we tend to err on the side of what we think our players want, but the bottom line is they don't know what they want in specific. All they know is they want to be excited. They don't. They might say, "Well, I want this," but do they really? Really, ultimately, they want to play an exciting, compelling game that makes them want to come back for more. Yeah, I think, and that that is probably a fantastic anecdote for your life, whoever you are listening to the these dulcet tones that I may have. It, try and find out what people are actually asking for. I'm just going to throw that out there as a thing because oftentimes people don't know. And so it's also asking those, those questions back to them. Uh, you know, questioning the questions and not, not in a big controversial or argumentative way, but just asking more, genuinely asking more about what the person is asking 
to kind of like what you're mentioning, get to the root of what they're really looking for. Um, because the why of the why the barbarian wants to find those things could be 10 times more interesting than say just saying, I want to go find where my people are. And but but why do you want those things? And then really playing into the nuance there rather than just that bigger question. So I think we're we're rounding it out. So we always get to the to the point in the episode where we throw out homework. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not 100% sure what our homework could be for people to go read, watch, learn, and experience to help for quest. <laughs> well, I mean, first and foremost, every book in the fart quest series it is an absolute must especially if you have children i'm trying to i'm trying to think of media i I think about the idea of something like seinfeld Mm. the great i mean it's coined as the greatest show about nothing Mm. because one one of the um often shows are written with what's referred to as a story bible where every other writer that could come on could look to that it's like you know it's like the honestly i'm thinking about it now it's like the mission and vision statement of a business theoretically everything should look back to that as is con, uh, contextualizing the work you're currently doing one of the things there was none of these characters will better themselves so like it's the, it's literally just all nuance from the second the characters were written mm-hmm. Which I, I'm not saying that that works for your overall campaign, but it does really well to find moments, moments that hang on the fact that you these characters can become so engrossed and just enveloped in a single idea that is but a brief moment in their life. And then it is, but it feels so momentous. But at the end of the day, it's just a small part of their life that all of us would potentially experience. I think that's a piece of nuance, and I, I assume at the end, this can bunny trail us, and I don't want to do that too much, but <clears throat> but I think it's worth mentioning is the idea that the tone of your campaign, it doesn't always have to be epic. They have run some really enjoyable campaigns that were silly, that were more Shrek than traditional Dungeons and Dragons that were, in, in fact, I, I ran one group when I was uh, first writing the first uh, book of FarQuest. We ran the party I was working with at that time through the book of FarQuest as as an adventure. And if you read FarQuest, you know that they are being sent on a quest for by this wizard uh, to find uh, the golden fart of a llama, which is ridiculous and ludicrous and silly and perfect for kids. But in a D&D game, your story can be silly too. I think it's just important in, in session zero to discuss that with them and to make sure that everybody's bought in to that. Cause if they're expecting to feel like heroes and be epic and, and they wind up feeling more like donkey and Shrek, then there can be a mess on that. But, but the idea that, that campaigns can, can be epic and serious or goofy and funny or a balance of the two. Um, I think it's important to remember. We have to remember that we are playing this to have fun. Perfect. So my other really important question is where can people go on the internet or just out in this wide, wide world to find all of the awesome stuff that you're doing? In terms of my books, is that what you're talking about? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I wouldn't give your home address if I, if it were me. But yeah, no, just your your books and anything else that you're working on. No, they can, uh, they they can find my books anywhere that that books are being sold. So, um, you know, 
the Amazon and all the online places, though I'm always a fan of supporting your local indie. Um, just like we need to support our local game store, we need to support the local indie bookstores as well. Otherwise, they're not going to exist. Yeah. So it, it, anywhere that they can, that they would go to find books, they can they can get their hands on them. And uh, yeah, I hope they will. I hope they will. I hope, especially any any parents of of kids that are anywhere between age five and ten or twelve that are that might be listening to this. I, I hope you'll grab Far Quest is my love letter to Dungeons and Dragons. It changed my life when I was in fifth grade. And I was not a big reader until I discovered fantasy and until I discovered Dungeons and Dragons. And I write the kinds of books that I would have given anything prior to fifth grade to have discovered. And so if you're a passionate D&D player, as many of us are, um, and you'd love to pass some of that passion for fantasy, for gaming onto your kids, chapter and night, would you have no idea the impact that it has just to sit and read aloud. You've experienced it, Neil, and, and you know oh, yeah. firsthand the power of that just a little bit of time reading it together every night, how much that impacts. Yeah, I cut my I cut my teeth deep on R.A. Salvatore um, back in the day to start my my journey in reading, and e- even then, like the the reading level that that gave me, because that's what most most kids need is a reason why they should read. Some kids, it's because they want to play video games more and they can't read what anyone is saying. So they're dependent on either, you know, a parent or a sibling or someone to help read that for them. But like I said, I was cutting my teeth on what I would say is a little bit harder of a read than than Fart Quest. And I think that if so, my kids are six and eight. Mm -hmm. And so if you have kids in that range, this is perfect for them. And really like the concept of Fart Quest, I know I know it's. It's a lot to take on the cover um, because it is it is the title, but you're that you're brought into why that happens so quickly, so, so quickly. And you're really immersed into that world within the first couple of chapters in a way that you're just invested in the story. So I would I mean, I, I can sing the praises certainly from my own perspective is that give it a try, like bare minimum. Try it out. Sure. sure. Well, and of course, I just want to thank you. This was very enjoyable for me, and I, I know there there's a lot back in there that all of our listeners ha- can take. And then, you know what? I would absolutely love to have you on another time. Oh, I love it. I did feel like we just started. This this hour flew. So uh, what a great time. And I, I really appreciate you thinking of me and inviting me. Yeah. We just want to thank Aaron again for coming on, spending some time with us, and having that great conversation. And if you want to get a hold of us and let us know how you've been using immersion in your games, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to social medias and find us on there by typing in the Dungeon Masters block, be it Twitter, Facebook, or wherever else you are trying to find us. And if we're not there, let us know. And of course... As always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. But that's it for us here at the Dungeon Masters Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. I'm D. O'Neill. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering.
Goodbye.